This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I guess I'm not over Easter yet. A song with that theme. I don't want to get over Easter. The song simply says, I saw love like I never saw love before from anyone. I saw the crowd laughing and mocking As he slowly walked down the street I saw the man with the cross on his back As it fell many times at his feet They mocked him and they cursed him as the blood flowed from his side. And as he slowly turned his face toward me for the first time, I saw in his eyes I saw the nails pierce his flesh As the hammer struck down I saw the cross being lifted into the air I saw it fall heavily into the ground And the man in the middle with the tears in his eyes, he was taking my place. And as he slowly turned his face toward me, I forgive you, I heard him say. Oh! 
bless his name. Thank you, Pastor Richard. Struggled a bit this week because following up on Easter, I kept coming back to this passage that I realized I don't I don't do this much on Sunday mornings, and this is a message that I've preached here on Sunday mornings before, and I get this complex, you know, they're gonna think I only have one message, you know. And uh but I kept coming back to this passage, and the more I prayed and asked God, you know, I've already done that one. What else can I preach about this week? The more I came back to this one. And so I think there might be some of us here today who really need to hear this. So uh, you all down another cup of coffee and straighten up and listen, all right? John chapter 21, and we're going we're gonna to cover a good section of this chapter. It fits very well for the week after Easter because this was just days after Easter um, that this all happened. John chapter 21. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus as some of your translations would say. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the, sh- on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, but they couldn't haul haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, we're at verse 15 now, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, I'm sorry, I skipped one of the times there. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. 
Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. It was just a couple of weeks after Jesus was crucified. The men who had followed him everywhere, the ones known as disciples, had their entire world in turmoil. Their leader had been killed and they were sure that they were probably going to be next. And then three days later, he was back. There was a wild day of rumors, uncertainties, a mysterious empty tomb. Their friend Mary Magdalene telling them he was alive. And then they saw him. That Sunday evening, Easter Sunday evening, he came into the locked room where they were hiding without bothering to open the door. Then eight days later on a Monday night, they were together again. Thomas was the one who still hadn't seen him. And Thomas was, I think, understandably reluctant to allow himself to have too much hope. But then Jesus came again, again through locked doors. But then he went away. There were Things were different now, they knew, but they were full of questions and pretty short of answers. Was he going to start traveling around teaching again? Would everything be like it was before? He'd been with them, spoken with them, eaten with them, but they had no idea what the plan was. What were they supposed to do? The first two times they'd seen him, they were still in Jerusalem, hiding, afraid of the Romans, afraid of the Jewish leaders, Afraid of a thousand things. Then somehow, a few days later, at least seven of them had left Jerusalem and walked the 90 or so miles north to Galilee. They were, they were confused, but they were hopeful. They were scared, but excited. They were in turmoil, but they also had a strange sense of peace. They wondered what was next, but they were also stuck in a holding pattern. They didn't know what to do. Finally, one evening, Peter looked out at the Sea of Galilee, a large freshwater lake where the fishing was pretty good. And he turned to the others and he said, I'm going fishing. James and John were with him. They were former professional fishermen as well. And Thomas and Nathaniel and two other disciples were with him. They didn't get to get named in this passage. I don't know why they didn't rate having us know which ones they were. But they looked at each other and decided that they'd all go too. Thomas and Nathaniel and the others didn't know the fishing business as well as Peter and James and John did, but they had some history in this boat. They'd had some crazy adventures with Jesus in this, in this fishing boat, Peter's boat. And they were disciples and they were all bound together now. They started putting together some gear and by the time they were done, they all decided they'd go out for all night, see what they could catch. It was most likely late April. The weather would have been cool that night, even there in the Middle East, probably upper 40s or lower 50s overnight. Maybe they shivered a bit in the night breezes while they pushed the boat out from the shore and lifted a sail. They warmed up a little as they got into the rhythm of the work, casting the large circular nets and then pulling them in, 
gathering them up, casting them again expertly so that they they fly out into a flat circle and land flat on the water. They weren't finding the fish somehow, but this was work they knew. Casting, pulling, casting, subconsciously watching the stars for clouds to roll in, feeling the wind, watching the sail for signs of change in the weather. And maybe Thomas sat watching, lending a hand where he could, feeling a little chilled and sleepy, wrapped in his cloak, but enjoying the slow lift and settle of the boat in the waves. Maybe a little ashamed to be glad that here in the middle of the lake, he didn't have to look over his shoulder for fear of being arrested. A few days before, when Jesus had appeared for that second time, Thomas was not allowing himself to believe that Jesus' resurrection was real. He wanted it to be true so badly. But if it turned out not to be true, he wondered, would that be enough to crush him completely? He had seen him die. He'd already gone through the grief of losing a friend. And if the resurrection wasn't real, he didn't know if he could take that. But then on that Monday evening, hiding in a room in Jerusalem behind locked doors, suddenly there he was, Jesus, real, alive, coming toward Thomas, showing him his scars, inviting Thomas to touch his scars, as if any of that mattered now. Saying, Thomas, don't be faithless anymore. Believe. And Thomas's eyes filled with tears, his chest tight, hands shaking. He wanted to say, no, Jesus, I'm sorry. I see it's you. I should have believed in you if I believed in anyone. I don't need proof. I know you're the Son of God. But he couldn't say all that, so he just fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus gently replied to him and said, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. Thomas was ashamed, but he knew Jesus cared enough for him that he was willing to let Thomas see and even touch his scars. And his fears of believing in something and being disappointed were gone. And now tonight on the lake, Thomas still had his fears. They were all worried about being arrested by someone. They weren't even sure who. Thomas wasn't sure what was going to happen in the future. And as he sat there in the boat, he knew one thing for sure. Jesus was alive and whatever happened, Thomas would follow Jesus anywhere and everywhere forever. A cold spray of water made him gasp and he looked up to see James grinning at him in the moonlight, gathering up a dripping net for another cast, shaking water at him. John looked over and splashed some water at James in retaliation. The, thun- the, the sons of thunder, these brothers have been called. Every issue argued at top volume, sometimes with fists. But now they were relaxed, insulting each other's casting technique, joking that the only thing they were catching tonight was a cold. And John gathered up his net and cast it out again, the familiar motion letting his mind range freely, remembering. On the three worst days of his life, John had moved in a numbed haze. In a last will and testament kind of statement, Jesus told him from the cross that he was to treat Mary, Jesus' mother, as his own mother. He would said, John, this is your mother. A plea from a dying friend 
Over the next three days, it was what kept John going. Nothing seemed to matter anymore with Jesus dead. But John was determined not to let Jesus down. He took Mary with him, hiding with the others. They were two people with shattered lives, moving through a gray world without hope, taking care of each other because it was the only thing that they knew to do. Then, Sunday morning, there was Mary Magdalene running up, shouting, confused and even afraid. His body is gone and... I don't know where they took him. Why would they take him? Well, John knew something had changed. He looked at Peter, and they both took off at a run. John didn't know what he would find, but he had to see. He outran Peter, got there first. He stopped, his heart pounding, breath short. He looked into the tomb. There was the empty burial cloth. And the linen that had covered Jesus' head was neatly folded and placed to one side. Peter came running up and went on into the tomb. John followed And suddenly, a thousand things came together in his mind. Prophecies Jesus had mentioned about himself. Details John hadn't thought about before. And a wild hope came up in his heart. Standing there by a shapeless linen burial wrap, John knew Jesus was alive. And he and Peter walked back and John wondered what Peter was thinking. He wanted to talk it out. And Peter was wide-eyed, silent, and grim. John knew... Peter was ashamed of himself for what had happened on Friday morning, so he said nothing. Then that very night, Jesus was there, and John stood with his tears streaming, his heart shouting a song of praise. Jesus was alive. The whole world was new and different, and nothing would be the same. John pulled in his net again. Nothing. He wondered absently where the fish were tonight, but he didn't really care much. The familiar motion was pleasant, and this cool night was perfect for hard work. He looked to the stern of the boat, where Peter had established himself, his stance wide, his expression grim and determined, as he cast nets, made small corrections to their course. Peter had thrown aside his warm cloak, but he was sweating as he moved in a tireless, steady rhythm. No fish yet, Peter thought, but he knew he wouldn't stop until dawn at least. His muscles were tired, but it felt good. Fishing was something he knew, something he was sure about. The rest of the world wasn't so certain. He knew Jesus was alive. It made him joyful. But at the same time, his shame was a cloud that darkened everything. That awful night when Jesus had been arrested, Peter was fearless at first. When the soldiers came, he pulled a sword and decided to fight and die for Jesus right there. He swung at the nearest target And when the man ducked, Peter's sword cut off his ear. Peter got ready to fight as long as possible before they mobbed him and killed him. But then Jesus said, Stop, Peter, put your sword away. And then he picked up the injured ear and healed it. He was being arrested, and yet he showed that he had more power than anything in the universe. Peter stood there, confused, surprised, bewildered, standing still as the crowd swirled around him. Then they were gone, taking Jesus away. And no one was coming at Peter with a spear. He was still alive. He wasn't arrested. He looked around and noticed the other disciples had all run away. He bolted and ran, but then turned and decided to follow and see if he could see what was going on. 
when he tried to blend into the crowd and get close enough to see Jesus' trial, people started looking at him, pointing and talking. You're one of his followers, aren't you? A girl said. Peter was suddenly terrified. He yelled and cursed and kept repeating, No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know that man. Then a rooster crowed. And at the same moment, over the heads of everyone at the trial in the courtyard, Jesus turned and looked over all their heads right at Peter. Peter turned and fled, groaning, weeping, suddenly realizing the enormous, horrible depth of what he'd done, denying that he knew Jesus. As Jesus was beaten and then crucified, Peter's agony grew more excruciating. He was a coward. He was disloyal. He was false. He was a counterfeit. And he knew it. But then, Sunday morning came, And the breathless run to the empty tomb. A day of unbearable confusion, wondering questions. Peter was pacing the room like a man obsessed. Everyone else talking about what had happened. Where was Jesus? And they tried to get Peter to calm down, but unsuccessfully. And then, that night, there he was. Jesus, in the room, standing there. The same as before, and yet more. Peace be with you, Jesus said to them. Peace be with you. And He looked at each of them in turn. And for a moment, Peter allowed himself to hope that even for him there might be peace. He wanted to run to Jesus, to tell Him how sorry He was, to beg forgiveness. He wanted Jesus to come to Him and confront Him, even shout at Him. But he didn't know what to say and he froze. Then the evening was over and Jesus had left again. Peace be with you, Jesus had said. Peter desperately wanted that peace, but he couldn't accept that it was for him yet. Peter stood there in the boat, casting, pulling. The fishing is terrible tonight, Peter thought. Maybe we'll find some fish yet though. Peter was ashamed that the others in this boat knew what he had done. They knew about his denials, but they hadn't been angry with him. They hadn't confronted him. They hadn't even silently avoided him. When he decided on a night of solitude on the lake, he wondered if they would be secretly relieved to be rid of him for the night. But then they had all come along. Even Thomas, who had already received the forgiveness that Peter wanted so desperately, Peter noticed suddenly the sky was getting lighter in the east. The night had gone. Dawn was coming. And not a single fish to show for a night's work. He straightened up, stretched, realizing how weary he was. Peter watched the shore slide past in the growing light. Dim shapes materializing into rocks, shrubs, trees. Suddenly he realized there was a man standing on the shore. He turned and saw John stopped in the act of pulling in a net. Looking at the man on the shore as well. They were all suddenly stopped, standing, looking at the man on the shore, waiting for something. 
The man's voice spoke and he said, My friends, have you caught any fish? They glanced at each other, their nets trailing idly down the side of the boat. And then James found his voice. No, he said. The man on the shore said the oddest thing. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch plenty of fish. Peter looked at James and shrugged. With a self-conscious grin, James pulled up the largest net and began to gather it up. Peter and John dropped their gear, moved beside him. They cast the net, same motion as hundreds of times before that night. The ropes ran out through their hands and then they began drawing it in. And Peter immediately knew that something was different. There was a resistance and then a weight and then a living, bucking tension on the ropes. They braced and pulled hard, looking at each other with expressions that shared how surreal the moment was. And Thomas and the others jumped up to help. They pulled together, but then Peter stopped them. We'll have to drag it to shore, he said. It will tear otherwise. John suddenly spun and stared at the man on the shore. He looked at Peter. It's the Lord, he said. Peter dropped the net. The boat lurched and James and the others chuckled and braced for the added weight. Gazing at the shore, Peter grabbed his cloak, pulled it on, and on a sudden impulse, he ran the length of the boat and dived into the water and swam straight toward the man on the shore. James and Thomas yelled and the others laughed and not sure what had come over Peter. He swam strongly to the shore. He stood up and walked, splashing and shivering through the shallows. His clothes and his beard streaming water came up on the shore and walked straight up to Jesus. They stood there for a moment, Peter staring, Jesus smiling at him. Then Jesus turned and walked to a campfire. There was fish frying there and bread. Suddenly the wind changed and Peter smelled the delicious earthy smell of breakfast. He realized he was starving. The boat pulled up to the shore, the other disciples shouting, laughing, straining to pull the net up onto the beach, counting counting their catch. Bring some of those fish, Jesus called. Well, Peter remembered his manners enough to go and help them haul the net up, full of flashing, flopping fish. They brought some of the fish over to the campfire and Jesus added it to what he already had cooking there. Then Jesus called them and said, Now come and have some breakfast. They all came, nodding, grinning at each other, tired and happy and ready to eat. They sat and Jesus served them fish and bread. They talked a bit at first, but mostly they sat there and ate with the contentment that men share eating a well-earned meal over a campfire. Thomas smiled to himself thinking, everything tastes better cooked over a campfire, but when it's cooked by the Son of God Himself, mm, unbeatable. After breakfast, Jesus came to Peter. He sat beside him and looked at him, and Peter was apprehensive. Jesus looked at him and then he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? James was sitting across from them, and he wondered what the more than these part meant. Was Jesus asking if Peter loved him more than he loved the fish? No, that was weird. Did Jesus mean to ask Peter if his love 
for Jesus was greater than the other disciples' love for Jesus, whatever he meant, Peter seemed to understand what he was asking. And Peter said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Well, Peter thought he understood. Jesus was giving him a commission. He was supposed to care for the new group of people who were coming to believe in Jesus. Sheep, lambs was a metaphor that Jesus had used before to talk about his followers, so Peter knew what he was saying. Peter would do it. He decided, okay, he would give it his all. There was still this cloud of his shame, but Jesus was giving him a job to do anyway. It was his chance to prove himself. But then Jesus looked at him again and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He had Peter's full attention now. Peter looked him in the eye and thought, he wants me to be totally sure. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Peter knew then his responsibility was going to be larger. He was supposed to care for all of Jesus' followers to the best of his ability. It was an overwhelming task, but Peter would do it. He would give it his all. He would redeem himself. But then Jesus asked him quietly a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's eyes filled with tears. His shame came crashing down on him. His denials came back in full force. And he sat there and wept for a couple of minutes, wondering if he could really say that he loved Jesus when he turned away from him. But Peter realized that whatever terrible things could truthfully be said about him, he could not help but love Jesus. There was no life for Peter outside of loving Jesus. He knew that he wasn't good enough to love Jesus and would probably never be, but he couldn't help it. He spread out his hands and said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus reached out and gripped his shoulder. And he smiled and he said, Then feed my sheep. And he looked into Peter's eyes. The truth is, he said, When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Crucifixion was still on all of their minds and so Peter understood. This was a passage from selfishness to selflessness. And Jesus was telling him that he would eventually have to give his life for Jesus. But Peter's joy was surging in spite of the sobering words. The cloud was gone. He was looking into the eyes of his friend, his Savior, his Lord. He was loved. He was forgiven. Peter didn't know what to do or say then, so he reverted to his old habit of talking before he thought it through. He looked over at John, who was smiling like an idiot, and Peter asked Jesus, What about him? Lord, and Jesus raised an eyebrow and he said, if I want John to stay alive till I return, what's that to you? He pointed at Peter and he said, smiling, you follow me. You follow me. 
Peter ducked his head. He was embarrassed. But his heart was warm even in the cool breeze. The sun was up now, orange in the eastern hills. The men cleaned up the last bits of breakfast and then got to work on their fish. This right here is the end of the story for Thomas in the Scriptures. Tradition says that after the Jewish diaspora, when the the Jews were all scattered um, from Jerusalem, he traveled east, sailed down the Red Sea, and eventually to the west coast of India. There in India, there are several ancient Orthodox churches that trace their lineage back to the work of the Apostle Thomas. He was he followed Jesus anywhere and everywhere forever. And he was finally martyred near Madras, India. And tradition says that he was speared by a lance there uh, in the middle of a bunch of his followers. John preached in Jerusalem, in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, and in other places. He also wrote one of the four Gospels and three biblical epistles, letters that bear his name now. Under either Emperor Nero or Domitian, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and there he became the revelator, and he was allowed to see a vision of the future with Jesus at the end of time making all things new. Peter led the early church, first from Jerusalem, then from Rome until his martyrdom, and the Acts of the Apostles records much of his early leadership of the church. He wrote two letters that bear his name, first and second Peter probably served as a major source for Mark writing his gospel. He was crucified in Rome under Nero's rule. Tradition tradition has it that he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to have the same death as Jesus. And whether that's actually true or not, we know he was crucified there and his death by crucifixion fulfilled Jesus' prediction, you'll stretch out your hands, others will take you where you don't want to go. Well, this is an involved look at this story. And let's wrap up with a couple of really important things here. Today, if you've been struggling like Thomas because you're afraid to fully believe in something, afraid to be disappointed, afraid to be let down, if you've been let down a lot, if you've been disappointed a lot, if people have betrayed you or disappointed you over and over, until you're afraid to believe in anything. Then Jesus' words are for you today. Blessed are those who do not see, but believe anyway. You can believe in Him. You can trust Him. He is enough. If you're like John today, and you love Jesus more than anything, remember this. Even if your world is shattered, even if everything falls apart, Jesus is alive. He loves you, and one day He'll make all things new. If you're covered in shame because of your sins, like Peter, if you're realizing how much your best efforts to please God fall short, then Jesus asks you here today, Do you love me? He's here right now. In a much more real way than some dude acting the part of Jesus in an Easter play, right? Jesus is here in this room today. 
And I believe his question for many of us is, do you love me? He didn't ask him, how's your church attendance, right? He didn't ask him, how, long, how often do you pray? Do you pray every day? Let me see your chart. Have you checked off the list? Do you pray every day? That's not what he asked him. He said, do you love me? That's a difficult question because for some of us to say, if we're honest, we would say, loving Jesus, that's kind of a weird question because I'm not sure how to know I love Jesus. I can't see Him. I can't touch Him. Like, you know, I, I don't have the advantage Peter did. I wasn't able to walk around with Him. How do I know that I love Jesus? And in America, we kind of confuse love with a warm, fuzzy feeling, don't we? We say, I love you, and it means you make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> and that's not really love, is it? Love is commitment. Love is a decision, a, self, a selfless decision, right? And so for Jesus to ask you today, do you love me? He's not asking you, do you have a warm, fuzzy feeling when you think about me? He's asking you, Have you given up yourself? Have you committed to follow me? The week after Easter is a very important week because it's so easy. I read a really awesome testimony this week of someone who came to the Easter play last weekend. Something in them clicked and they'd heard this story a thousand times, but something in them clicked and they said, finally I realized how important the resurrection is to me and I opened my heart to the love of Jesus. But but this lady said, many times before I'd heard this story and I'd just let it kind of wash over me and I thought it was great, but I just, that's all it, that's the only impact it made. And the week after Easter, it's so important for you to realize Jesus is asking you today, no matter how long you've been going to church or if you're brand new this morning, He's asking you, do you love me? He asked Peter three times looking into his eyes and today... He's asking you, through this Scripture, which was written down for a reason, it's not just a nice story, there's a reason this was passed down to us. Jesus asks you, do you love Me? And if you have to be honest and say, you know what, I don't really know. I'm not sure I love Jesus. Then His invitation is for you. Follow Me. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Would you stand? Let's pray. There's a kind of awkward question that I ask teenagers a lot when I haven't seen them for a while or if we haven't talked in a long time you know kids that have come that have been in youth group things like that and and the awkward question that I ask them a lot is how you doing with Jesus and pretty much everybody's first response is well you know I'm reading my bible a lot or I'm, I'm praying every day and I, I didn't ask you are you behaving yourself uh, you know I'm asking you how are you doing with Jesus like how are you doing with the real Jesus and I don't know maybe it's a bad question maybe it's a just a confusing question, but I, I would ask you that today. How are you doing with Jesus? Um, not are you a good citizen? Not have you been 
honest this week. That's, those are important questions, but how are you doing with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You're here with us right now today. I pray that we would have a, a wake-up moment right now, like those disciples did when they turned and realized there's a man standing on the shore and there's something unusual about him. That We would realize that there's a presence here in this room with us this morning. And it's not just our friends standing next to us. It's that Jesus is here. Lord, may we have the reaction that Peter did that just drop everything, dive in and swim to you if that's what we have to do. And that we would be able to respond, yes, Lord, you know everything, you know I love you. And if we can't honestly respond like that, Lord, then I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you and that you would change our hearts so that we could love you more than we love anything on earth. Because Christ truly is enough for us. But if we have other priorities that come before You, then really we're going to be pretty miserable because it's impossible to follow Jesus unless we go all in. So help us to do that today, God. Thank You for Your love for us. Thank You that You forgive us. Thank You that You rose and You're alive and You're here today. That You love us. That You're good. And that You never leave us or forsake us. And thank You that even though You said in this world we will have trouble, You also said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And that one day we'll get to see You make all things new. In Your name we pray and we thank You. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.